basics back to basics teaching you truth that you really need to know back to basics back to basics talking about the church living life to the fullest baptism well guys i'm really excited to be here with you tonight we're continuing on in our series back to basics and we've talked about a lot of different things in this series from worship style to why we tithe and things like that. And tonight we're talking about one of the most important things for us as Christians. Um, you know, we see people get dunked in water. And for some of us who didn't grow up in church, it's a really weird concept. And so tonight I want to look at why baptism is important, why it's biblical, and what it represents. But before we get started, would you guys pray with me? God, thank you so much for allowing us to be here tonight with you. Lord, I know that you brought each person in this place for a reason. And so, God, as we look at uh, your scripture and we go through what baptism really represents, could you help us humble ourselves? Could you help us just lay down us and who we are and our identity and our name and just receive what you want us to receive? Receive who you are, your love, your compassion, and your grace. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. So the scripture that we're going to be reading from is in Matthew chapter 3. If you guys have your Bibles, you can turn there. And I want to start in verse 13. And we're going to be looking at the baptism of Jesus. It says in verse 13, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, to John, to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened up to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And we see uh, this concept of baptism, especially in the book of Acts. Uh, if you know anything about the book of Acts, it's the, the, Bible, the book of the Bible that talks about the church, the New Testament church that uh, was established after Jesus was on earth. And it talks about all the ways that church is supposed to look like. And we see in Acts chapter 2, uh, when Peter is preaching about this new church, 3,000 people come to know Jesus. And then it says in scripture, immediately after, they were baptized. We see again in Acts chapter 3, you guys remember the man who was at the gate, the beggar, who was begging for coins? It says that they gave him something more, that they preached the gospel message to him. And because of that, 5,000 people came to know God. And scripture says, immediately after, they were baptized. And so we see time and time again this idea of people coming to know God and then immediately professing that through baptism. And I want us to, to pay attention here uh, to the baptism of Jesus. It says in verse 13, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan River. Uh, the Jordan River is important for us tonight to understand and to look at because it's a symbol. It symbolizes something that we need to get past as a humankind, as a, as a people. And there's all kinds of symbols throughout Scripture. I want to list off a few of them for you guys. The first one is mountains. We see this symbol of mountains all throughout Scripture. We see things like, uh, if you have the faith like a mustard seed, you can move mountains. And uh, with faith, you can make the mountains move, or you can tell them to jump. So mountains represent here obstacles in our life. Things that are bigger than we even imagine we can over, uh, overcome or achieve. Um, we look in scripture and we see things like David and Goliath. For David, Goliath was a mountain in his life. This huge obstacle, this huge feat that he had to overcome. But through faith he could overcome it. Another symbol that we see in scripture a lot is the symbolism of storms and seas. Every time in scripture when it talks about storms or seas, it equivalates that to fear. 
We see scripture like, fear not for I am God. Fear not for the Lord God is near to you. Fear not for I am with you. And so it's this symbol of man's fight against fear. We see other symbols with war and enemies all throughout scripture. We find this need as humankind to protect things. And we know that while scripture says that fear of man is a snare, we know that man versus man fighting constantly is occurring in our life. So this fight between man versus man. We also know that we have a fight against darkness. Uh, Darkness is an illusion that's used all throughout Scripture to represent Satan and the spiritual warfare that we're in every single day. This battle between darkness and the light. So man's fight against spiritual warfare. But you see what the Jordan represents, what it symbolizes for us, is the Jordan is man's fight for identity against himself. The Jordan is man's fight for identity against himself. I would argue that one of the most significant, challenging, important questions that each of us have to ask ourselves at some point in our life is, who am I? Who am I? Man, that seems like a daunting question to me sometimes. You know, and I start to think about things like, you know, I'm a son. I'm a brother. I work at a church, so I'm a pastor. I'm a neighbor. You know, you think of all these identifying terms, and we all have to identify with something. But unfortunately, there comes points in our life where we experience this thing called an identity crisis. How many of you guys have ever had an identity crisis? Thank you. I'm the only one. I appreciate it. But we have these identity crises, and it comes from different events that can occur in your life. Maybe you've been in this relationship for so long, and so you identify as that person's spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend. And when you guys break up, it feels like your entire world has been shattered because everything you knew, everything you were was in that relationship. And so you suffer from identity crisis. Maybe it's this addiction that has just taken over your life. It has hijacked you and it has named you. And you're known as the alcoholic. And then when you try to recover from that, that follows you. Those voices follow you because you're experiencing identity crisis because you know that's not the life that you're supposed to be living. You see, I would say that while we have these fights against obstacles in our life, we have these fights of fear, of storms and seas, while we have this fight against man, and even this spiritual warfare that's constantly going on, the greatest enemy for us is probably ourselves. I believe that your greatest enemy is probably you. You see, our world has created an endless cycle of identity crisis. Scripture talks about how, as Christians, we're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. And the reason it says that is because we are born into a flawed system. We're born into a flawed system. Let me just list off a few things that maybe you have found your identity in. One thing that people find their identity in is their looks. That's why you see uh, guys, when they hit 45 and they experience dad bod and balding head, go out and buy fancy trucks and nice things and try to get the prettiest wife, and they have this thing called a midlife crisis because they put all their identity in their looks, and when that's gone, they feel empty. They have an identity crisis. It's why moms uh, fall into depression after they have children, and they no longer have their fit, skinny uh, mom bod. That was for you, Courtney. (laughs) Another Another thing that people sometimes identify with is feeling. People identify with their feelings. And so the problem with this is you can be really happy and in a really good place and feel successful and worthy and qualified because emotionally you're in a great place. But the problem there is our feelings are so fickle, guys. That's one of the most truthful statements I can make from the stage. Our feelings are constantly wavering and changing. And so you experience this identity complex, this identity crisis 
one morning when you wake up and you're sad because you're experiencing things and you no longer feel qualified anymore. You no longer feel worthy or able to get up and conquer the day. You have identity crisis. Sometimes we find our identity in memories. We had this place in our life that was so good and so real. Maybe it's with a relationship with a family member and we hold on to those memories so tightly that we forget to live in the day and in the reality and in the present. And what happens there is Eventually, life smacks us upside the head and says, hey, that's not what your world looks like anymore. We experience identity crisis. Some people put their identity in relationships, like I said, in a spouse or a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And unfortunately, one of the harshest truths is that every person in your life will at some point fail you. People are sinners, every single one of us. And so because of that, your relationships at points in your life will fail and flounder. And because of that, you experience identity crisis. What's going on? Who am I? Who am I in all of this? And the next one I want to talk about is two parts. Uh, I thought about this the other day. What would my biography look like compared to my autobiography? What would a book look like on my life if somebody else wrote it compared to how I wrote it? See, if we all did this with our life and we said, my identity comes from what I think about myself, here's some problems that could arise. Well, some of us can speak in pride and say, you know what? My life was awesome. I had it going on. I had all the nicest things. I was such a great person. I had good hair, yada, yada, yada. And you end up being so prideful and consumed with yourself that when life tells you, actually, you're not like that, actually, you're really not that good or that perfect or that able or you're really not as good as you think you are, you experience identity crisis. The other thing to look at is if somebody else writes something about you. So many of us allow other people to name us. So many of us allow other people to tell us who we are. The addict, the cheater, the liar, the sinner, the adulterer. You know, I can go on and on and on, and it gets dirtier and more perverse. The skank. You know what I'm saying? And we take those things and we hold them as truth and we believe them about ourselves. And what happens is we live broken, hurt lives because we know that that's not what our lives were meant to be. Identity crisis. See, we search for our identity in external, empty things. And the Jordan River is a symbol of how to overcome that. And let me explain. See, if you know anything about the geography of the Jordan River, the Jordan River starts at Mount Hermon. And Mount Hermon is the highest summit in all of Israel. And what happens is we see the Jordan River slowly trickle through. And what happens is we see four streams. Now, each one of these streams is different in their own right. It is magnificent and mighty and beautiful in their own right. But what happens is these four streams come together as one in the Jordan River. You see, we see these four different streams from different places come together and lose their identity when they meet the Jordan River. And as they come together, uh, we see that the river go through the Sea of Galilee. That probably sounds familiar to some of you guys. The Sea of Galilee is the place where Jesus walked on water. It was a place where miracles happened. And the Jordan River continued all the way down to the lowest point, the lowest point, and pulled at the Dead Sea into one body, one place. You see, the Jordan is a place where identity is lost. The Jordan is a place where identity is lost. And so some of you guys are probably thinking, so why would Jesus go there? Why is this significant to us? Why would Jesus want to be baptized in a place where he lost identity when so many of us are experiencing this identity crisis problem? And I think we have a a few examples throughout Scripture. The first example is when we look at the children of Israel. 
The children of Israel were in bondage for so many years. They were told that they were slaves, unworthy. They were broken. And then when they were led out of that slavery, when they passed over the Red Sea, they wandered for 40 years experiencing identity crisis. What does it mean to be a servant? What does it mean to be redeemed? What does it mean to be a child of the king? And so they wandered in disobedience for 40 years. They saw sickness and they saw death in their wanderings. They experienced moments where they said, the man is not good enough. Identity crisis. And then we see this beautiful point in scripture. And if uh, you want to write this down so you can look at this later. In Joshua chapter 5 verse 9, it says this. It says that God rolled away the shame of Egypt from them. That God rolled away the shame of Egypt from them. Now it's important for us to understand what that means. You see, the word shame there in the Hebrew text doesn't mean their past mistakes. Doesn't mean their brokenness or their failings. It literally implies a dark force that produced profound unbelief and persistent disobedience. You see, when they hit the Jordan River, God rolled back their shame. And there's a cause for their identity crisis. You see, shame is not, I feel bad for what I've done, or I feel bad for who I am. It's not, I've done bad, it's, I am bad. It's not, I've done wrong, it's, I am wrong. You see, centuries under bondage, in the wilderness, seeing death and disease. The Israelites, the children of Israel, didn't find their identity when they hit the Jordan, but they lost it. They didn't find their identity, but they lost it. They lost that identity of of slave, of broken person, of sinner. They lost their identity, and the shame was rolled back. We see another story with King Naaman. If you know anything about the story of King Naaman, he was a mighty king. He was extremely wealthy and well-respected. And King Naaman probably had good hair. And King Naaman got sick one day, and he wanted to be healed. And so he went to this guy named Elisha, and Elisha was a prophet. And he knew that Elisha could heal him because he, he was in with God. And so he goes to this guy expecting this amazing moment where Elijah heals him from his sickness. This amazing moment that's big and mighty and majestic and beautiful. And you know what Elijah says to him? If you want to be healed, go dip yourself in the Jordan River. And King Naaman's like, oh, that's disgusting. I can't do that. I'm a king. I'm mighty. I can't go to that dirty, muddy, nasty river where all these other people go and swim in and bathe in. That's disgusting. And Elijah looks at him and says, until you lose your identity, until you lose the fact that you're a king and mighty and worthy, you won't be healed. You see, Naaman had to lose his identity. And then again, we see now here in this story, finally, Jesus. And I think it's important for us to understand that Jesus' baptism is different than our baptism. Scripture tells us that baptism is just symbolic of the old dying and the new life coming about. The old dying and the new life coming about. But Jesus was different. You see, Jesus was sinless. And so Jesus was losing his identity in the sinful nature of mankind. And we read in scripture where John is like, why am I baptizing you? You're the one that's perfect. You should be baptizing me. And in the earliest translation of that scripture, the next line says, in my suffering, though this is suffering, will do this to produce righteousness. That's what Jesus says in response. You see, Jesus didn't celebrate this baptism. This was something that was difficult, but it was an act of obedience to the will of God. See, what happened was when we go down, we leave our sins in the water in baptism. But when Jesus went down, he picked up the sin that was in the water. See, from millennia past to present to millennia future, he picked up the sins of the world. He went down as the sinless Savior, but he came up the suffering servant. Of mankind. 
He carried our sins for three and a half years to a place called Calvary where he died on a cross for you and me to pay a debt that we couldn't pay, to give us freedom from our slavery, freedom from our identity. You see, in baptism, he lost who he was and picked up who we are. And he did that so we could lose who we are to pick up who he is. You see, baptism is all about identity. You lose your life so you can find it. And if I can say something that is uh, um, powerful that I want you guys to hold on to, that it's important, is this. This idea of identity is a gift. Identity is a gift above all other things. You see, we see in this text, this wasn't something that came about because of good works. This wasn't something that they received because they did something good. They weren't a Christian or a baptized person because of who they were. They were that because God said, you know what, you're my son. That's the name I give to you. There's a, in the text, in scripture, when Jesus was at the base of Mount Hermon, that place where the Jordan River starts, when he was in Philippi, he said something to his disciples. He had them gathered, and it was a teaching moment for him. And he looked at them, and he said, who do men say that I am to his disciples? And some of them said, well, you're the son of God, and you're the Messiah, different things like that. And then he asked a more profound question. He looked at his disciples, and he said, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? There was this guy named Simon. And Simon said, well, you're the Christ, son of the living God. And it's interesting how Jesus responds to Simon because he says this. He says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. When I first read that, I kind of scratched my head. What did Jesus mean there? I think what he literally meant was, works didn't reveal this to you. I'm not the Savior because of things I've done or I'm capable of, but I am because it's just who I am, and I'm giving that to you. I'm telling you who I am. And then it's awesome what happens next. You see, Jesus looks at this man named Simon, and he says, your name, your name is The Rock. Your name is Peter. See, Jesus renames Simon to The Rock. Peter, something valuable, important, redeeming, And he wants to do that with each of us tonight. So many of us have identified as things in our life, have allowed things to tell us who we are, what we are, what we're capable of. Jesus right now in this room is looking at you saying, you know what? I want to give you a new name. My child, redeemed, restored, renewed, enough, qualified. And every single person in this room has the ability to receive that name tonight. Would you pray with me? God, we know that you are a God who is so much bigger than our sin and our failures. And God, we know that we have past and we have brokenness and we have things in our life that are messy. But God, we also know that you're a God who sent his perfect son to pay a price we couldn't pay, who picked up our sin so that we might have eternal life with you. And God, I know that there are people in this room who are hurting, who are broken, who are at their end, God, just at the end of their rope. God, I want to pray for them right now that you would fill them with your spirit and your love and your truth. God, would you remind them that they're a child of you? All they have to do is receive you. All they have to do is say, you know what? I do mess up. I do make mistakes. I am a sinner. And I need to be baptized. I need to be saved, forgiven of my sins. That's all they have to do is surrender to you, God. And in a moment, their life can be radically altered and changed. They can be given a new name a redeeming name, a 
name that carries power, a name that doesn't fail or fade, a name that's not dependent on circumstance, but a mighty name that says child of the king, royalty, a prince, a princess, someone who is qualified and worthy and able, God. That's what you want for each of us in this room. And so may we just receive that tonight. May we never forget where identity comes from. May we cling to you tonight. God, right now, I want to lift up my brother and sister, Carrie and Trey Willis, to you. God, we're about to watch as they are submerged in the water, representing submersion in your grace. Old life dying, new life coming to be. You giving them a new name, redeemed, worthy, good. God, thank you for their hearts. Thank you for them being a part of this church body. And God, thank you for our opportunity to be able to do this together as a family. And God, during this time, if there are people in this room who want to experience the same thing, would you encourage them to move, to have faith that moves them to come forward, that moves them to embrace you tonight with open arms because you are waiting and you are jealous for them. We ask all these things in your son's name. Baptist a little over a year ago with my wife. Um, we were introduced to Burlington Baptist by uh, Kevin and Amber uh, Florlich. Uh, they're our next door neighbor, our neighbors from across the street. Um, they asked uh, they asked us to come down. Um, we came down. We started to meet uh, some of the people here, uh, Chris Allman, Chris Riddle, and uh, started hanging out with them outside of the church as well. And uh, really started to feel like part of the community and part of the family. And uh, I, uh, I was, uh, over the course of the last year, um, my, my beliefs ha- have changed. I've gone from, from wanting to believe that, uh, that uh, Christ was the Savior and, and um, believe that God is working in my life to, to actually believing. And uh, it's been a huge change for me and a huge change for my life. And uh, so I've, uh, I've asked Chris Riddle to, to baptize me this weekend. And... Um, I appreciate everybody coming to see it. A representation of the demonstration that led to my resuscitation, my spiritual revitalization. When at first my entire being was experiencing deterioration, there was a plane that separated death from life, and for too long I waited in the former. Desperate for the respite that came when I least expected it, and suddenly there was a breach in the in-between. There was a hand that illuminated the darkness when it broke the plane and took a hold of the silhouette that for too long maintained that he belonged to the shadows and he was a creature of the night. But in an instant, he became a child 
of the light. I squinted as the glorious rays of Christ pierced the ocular cavity and brought the dead soul to life. So I step in. The surface of the water suddenly becomes a plain. I stand with hands clasped in front of my chest, holding tightly, looking skyward as if I'm clinching desperately to my Savior. I smile brightly. My heart melted, relishing each moment. It's time to break the plane. The plane that I weighed between death and life because today I proclaim that I call upon the name that is above all names and was bought with a price. And I maintain that that name is Jesus Christ. Yes, Jesus Christ. Christ. And I let go. Weight shifts from heel to toe, and in an instant I lose myself and sense of control because the moment I gave way is the moment I decided to trust. And I break the plane, chills rush. Water hits the back of my neck first, and in an instant I become fully immersed. Water dissipates, displaced, separates. The plane breaks, and I'm buried beneath the plane, completely immersed for a second, but what seems like a lifetime. Perfect peace beneath the surface where sounds cease, and I release, absorbed by the deep, the deepest of love that consumes me, where waves clap in front of my face and applause, weightless, suspended in heavenly space, fully submerged, my past drowned in God's grace. I'm buried, my sin's final resting place just as they were when the Spirit of Jesus washed over me and made me brand new. Yes, brand new. Brand new. So I break the plane, emerging from the water, bursting forth, sins shed beneath me. I've been reborn, resurrected, restored, renewed, revitalized, arms held high from death to life, to Jesus Christ be glorified, and I testify. I testify of the way, the truth, and the life of the one who took my stripes and bought me at a price, brought me from dark and into the light because he wanted me to be forgiven. Forgiven. And on the third day, he changed the game. Yes, my Savior rolled that stone away. And like I emerged from the water, he emerged from the grave and broke the plain when he rose again. How can I not praise his name? How can I not say, thank you, Jesus? I can't wait for you to come back someday. Light of the world, forever reign.